Welcome back to the Strategic Imagination Sandbox hosted by Learning Forte. I am Greg Klumovitz, Leadership and Community Development uh, Consultant and Lead Convener for the Strategic Imagination Sandbox. We return for part two of episode four with Stacey Williams-Duncan and our guest, Kristen DeMarco. Now, our last episode scratched the surface a bit on values and constraints in leadership, especially as they shape our movement towards intended impact. Now, I'll be honest, while that was an important preface, this episode is the one I was really excited about as we kind of expand and integrate that conversation into real examples of how you and Gateway Horseworks have navigated those constraints for impact in the field of mental health and equine therapy. So... You shared in the last episode, Kristen, um, about your, your primary constraint of the farm. And I'm wondering if you could share another recent constraint that you face as a leader of Gateway and what you're doing in, in, in your work in the mental health field. Sure. Thanks for having me back. Um, I mean, funding. There's always challenges with finding funding, of communicating who we are and what we do in the most effective way that aligns with our value of access, that we're creating accessible language around what we do. Um, I guess I don't really view things as constraints anymore because I used to think every day about quitting, like for years. And, um, I don't want to quit anymore. Um, that's just not on the table. Um, so it's more, it, it feels less about like being a constraint or something that's like holding me back in something more that I'm going to have to like a puzzle. I have to figure out, um, something that I'm not quite certain about, um, how to navigate, um, I think it's more uncertainty for me or um, not knowing than it feels more like a constraint. So with funding, like we got, you know, we're like many organizations coming out of COVID, um, you know, a lot of our programming shut down, even though it's outside, like a lot of our clients that we serve are, you know, um, marginalized or vulnerable and we, you know, uh, provide transportation to the farm through various different ways. And during COVID, all that transportation ceased um, because people couldn't be in vehicles with other people. And so we took a huge hit financially as an organization. And so just to keep going, even though we, you know, had been given this amazing farm, now we had to not only rent a facility, we had to operate it, you know, pay bills on it, uh, you know, all the, all the, you know, careful what you wish for scenarios. Um, <laughs> I've never worked harder in my life having our own facility, even though we've rented different farms in the past. Um, so, you know, I think trying to figure out, okay, a lot of our contracted work or grants had fallen away and how are we going to kind of rebuild after COVID and rebuild our organization, um, was a huge challenge and something that we're really just getting, you know, some traction on now, um, in, in 2023, um, and, and really having to step out in different ways. And what's really exciting is that 
there's been all this time and work that we've already put in and like educating our community and talking about who we are and what we do and, and, and driving so hard at what our vision is for the future that it's starting to pay some dividends and we're starting to, you know, have a lot more people know who we are and what we do and that we're a leader in this field of practice. And so, um, it's coming a lot easy, easier now, but it's still like this huge stress points of like, we really didn't need that horse to get sick and need surgery. And we didn't expect to have to pay thousands of dollars for that. Um, or, you know, our one fundraiser for hay and straw, we didn't meet that fundraising goal. How are we still need to buy hay and straw? Like, how are we going to make that happen? And there was a lot of financial pressure and crush that I think so many companies and nonprofits alike have faced in the last couple of years. And those of us that are still standing, you know, we're, 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 you know, pretty ragged from that few years. And so, um, having to just keep figuring out new pathways forward is the challenge and has to be the mentality that like, all right, we need to figure out, we need to keep focusing on what's next, what new, what are we not doing? What have we exhausted? What haven't we done enough of, you know, what's too much? What do we want to stop doing all those things? So, um, just constantly like knowing, you know, the values are our true North and then, and then kind of building around that and rebuilding, um, and trying to figure out where all the different puzzle pieces go or the challenges. And I think it's more about staying in a positive mindset because I can panic about all the things <laughs> and it's a strength, right? Because my brain can think of all the different pathways. It's a huge strength in what I do, but it's also like a personal limiting factor to like, have to think through all the like worst case scenarios. So being like, all right, bring yourself back in. What can we do right now? Uh, so I think, you know, trying to stay focused on, okay, we're not going to quit. We're going to stay solution oriented. We're going to be willing to pivot on literally all of we've known thus far about our business and coming up with creative solutions that we haven't thought through before are like the main ways that we are not just surviving, but starting to really thrive. Kristen, one of the things you mentioned um, in the last part of this episode um, related to how in this form of therapy, it is, um, it's different than traditional talk therapy. Um, and so in many ways you could say that the horses themselves are a constraint in the realm of the therapy. Um, and we've talked about how constraints aren't always a bad thing, but it's just the reality of what, what you, uh, what your face is like your contextual reality. And so I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about, uh, how the constraint of the horses as a medium really drives a creative approach to therapy. Yeah, I guess I don't view it as a constraint. I think of it as our biggest strength um, because it's so engaging and so unique and so different and um, that they don't 
judge anybody. They don't read people's files. They don't care if you drive in a Mercedes or if you get public transport here, like none of that matters. And so they have this unique way of cutting through um, in a way that people don't. So I think that they're our strongest asset. And I think what we're finding is in this conversation is that no matter how much we want to redefine and extend, expand the understanding or the use of the word constraint um, to be just the contextual reality is that that word carries so much baggage that we're going to have to rethink our, our use of that term because that's all that means in design work is what's the constraint? What are the tools you've been given? What are, what's the reality? What's, what's the medium you're working in? What are the resources you have? That's all that means in that traditional piece. But the word prevents us from thinking about just those contexts. And so I'm sitting here listening and thinking, yeah, we're going to have to redo some of that and rethink about that. Because um, <clears throat> if we ask the same question in a different way, which is, what are the, what are the opportunities and the limitations that emerge? Because the contextual reality is that part of the therapy team is large and has to be outside, or at least most of them do. That might be the same question Greg was asking in a yeah. really different framework. Yeah, for sure. I think going back to the last episode, Greg, where you asked me that I'm getting in an elevator with you and I'm going to tell you about this. And I talked about, well, it's a lot to really tell you about, and it can be challenging in the language. And yet go to this question when you're asking about the constraints of horses. The unique thing is when I tell people about this is that usually the way that I talk about it is I say that we incorporate horses for mental health treatment of people. And I pause and let them process. And they're like, horses? I'm like, yeah. And it allows me. And so I kind of like step it up. I don't try and tell them everything because they're like, whoa, that was a lot of information. And, you know, I might ask more questions like, did you ever grow up with horses or, you know, do you work in the mental health field? Like understanding who I'm talking to, because that's going to be how I frame the conversation. But the unique thing is, is that people never forget that they call me every, like, at the prison, they call me the horse lady. There's the horse lady. She's here. Um, they remember that and they attach meaning to that, whatever their meaning is about it. But it's something that connects people to us and to me. And yeah, how we frame up exactly the medium of this works, whether we're talking to mental health professionals or community organizations or schools or a funders is, is constantly like we're rough drafting all the time. We're willing to like rethink the language, but I see, like you were saying, Stacy, the horse is the opportunity. I also love the fact that you said we're always rough drafting because I think sometimes when we think about how we talk about our organizations and our work and our missions and we think, okay, we're going to get to the place where it's down and we've got it down and we can do it. And instead, this idea of, okay, how am I going to ground myself? What do I know is most important? And then am I, how am I constantly rough drafting so that I can be responsive to the person I'm talking to? Um, I like that image a lot, which means that it's not going to be perfect always. 
No, it's never going to, the perfect isn't a place. It's that's, that's a fairy tale. <laughs> that's a fairy tale. Like right. I was having dinner with our board president a couple of weeks ago and he, you know, we're sitting down there we just ordered our food and they take our menus and he's like, all right, so I have a new idea on the mission statement. <laughs> And I'm like, great, let's hear it. Um, you know, and he's like, I was just feeling this kind of way about it. And I was thinking like, how do we incorporate this? And I was like, well, I don't kind of like that because of this reason. And we were kind of doing this banter back and forth. And like, there's a million other things that we could talk about. And we're sitting there still rough drafting a mission statement that we just finished a year ago. <laughs> you know, um, so it's just, that's the nature of the beast. So when what's the fine line and where do you find the fine line between that rough drafting that is continuing to be iterative and where's the fine line when the ongoing rough drafting is becoming an excuse or keeping people or organizations from getting down to do the work they need to do? I think it's just the energy behind it, right? Like, are you here to kick tires (laughs) or are you here you know, to, to, to really like this editing is really going to propel us in a new direction. Um, cause we're really saying we aspire to be over here and we feel like the language needs to shift slightly to get us there. That's a different energy than like, well, we should really in this, you know, meeting think about, um, is everybody weighing in on changing things? Like that feels like maybe we're not talking about, the real issues and, and leaders are uh, inherently doing that all the time. For the purpose of this movement in the sandbox, we're talking about how all of this relates to impact. Um, and if you're doing the constant iterative work of rough drafting for the sake of this shared desire for a particular type of impact, that seems to be where the energy comes from. No, I think you, I think you nailed that. I mean, I think that that's it. Kristen, what are some impacts that you've had that you intentionally set out and say, hey, that's the kind of impact we want to have? And then can you think of impacts that your organizations have that you would never have predicted? I think I think of impact in two ways. One is on the people that we serve and one is on the organizations and funders that we need to speak to um, and communicate with. Um, with our clients, it's really simple as the impact is just making it accessible and available. Like I don't measure success of our clients on whether they, you know, return to prison. Like that's not, if, if I, if I hung my hat on that, I'm a lost soul. Um, but you know, I think it's still important to be in the system of tracking success and making sure that organizations like ours are being ethical or being responsible with funding. Like impact is really important to tell a story. And I think it's challenging because it takes time to demonstrate impact. And as a young organization, you know, I had a really tough time getting our first grant because I didn't have anything to show for impact. And so it became like a chicken and an egg scenario. Like I had this great idea and this great vision and, and yet I didn't have any statistics to show, um, or, or stories to tell. 
And, um, so, so I understood very early on how important that was. And so I think for each partner organization, so we partner with, like I said, like our local prison, we partner with children, youth and family services, juvenile probation, the, you know, local VA hospitals, um, school districts, we partner with, you know, hospice facilities, we partner uh, with anti-human trafficking organizations. And so they each have a different way that they want to measure impact. And so what we try to do is build in things like program completion or things like that, um, or recidivism or um, being placed out of home that the, that are important to work within that system. And yet that's not how I manage success because if I did, I would, if there was a metric like COVID, it, I would never be enough. And I guess for me as a leader, like I have to be really grounded in what enough is and enough is just showing up and doing the work. And that's all we ask of our clients too. I, I love that. And that's a, that's a great way to kind of transition from this, this uh, part of the episode is to talk about showing up. And that's a huge component of leadership is showing up and, and holding space for enough. And so Kristen, again, thank you for sharing again with such, uh, such wisdom. Thank you. Thank you.